0: Well, Happy Easter to you. Happy Easter. All right, here's what I want to do. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us uh, right now from an off-site campus or on the Internet, uh, wherever you happen to be. We're glad that you're along. I want us all together uh, at the campuses and here, uh, there's a greeting for Easter that Christians have been doing down through the years. What happens is the leader, me, will say, Christ is risen. And the congregation will say, He is risen indeed. Okay, Ready? Everybody together. Christ is risen. He has risen me. All right. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, that's the best news that I have heard all day. Will you do that? All right. Okay, now I want to ask you a question. How, how many of you have ever had, or you may be there right now, a situation in your life where you're in transition, You're moving from something that was familiar to something that is kind of unknown, and the question on your mind is, what do I do now? Anybody ever had one of those, what do I do now moments? I can think of several of them in my life. One of them was when I got married, okay, when I went from being single to being married. And I really uh, didn't think much about that transition until it actually happened. And I remember uh, Debbie and I grew up in a very small church in uh, Denver, Colorado. And I can remember uh, standing up front and watching her come down the aisle and thinking, Oh my goodness, I don't know if I'm ready for this. Not that it was a bad thing. This is a lot of responsibility. This is not like just being single, hanging out with the guys. I've got some serious... And, you know, we should have done premarital counseling. That's why we do it these days. where you to work through some of those things. Uh, I wouldn't have changed my mind. I hope that she wouldn't have. But I'm thinking, I don't know if I'm up to this. What do I do now? Now, we did okay. We're going to celebrate 35 this summer. That's an opportunity to applaud. What do I do now? I remember another one was uh, when we had our first child. Uh, do you guys remember those days? Some of you that are married, maybe had kids. And it was exciting, but it was one of those, what do I do now? I mean, it's not like a puppy that you can give back. You know, I mean, th- this, is, this is a person that's going to impact your life Forever. I remember another one was when I started transitioning from actually having hair to being follically challenged <laughs> and looking in the mirror every day and my life changed right in front of me, you know. My wife would take a little vacuum cleaner to the pillow every, you know, morning or whatever and, and I was faced with what do I do now? Do I do the comb over, you know? Do I go ahead and shave it or just kind of let it, kind of let it happen, transitions. Transitions. You know, here's what I know about transitions. I know that they're normal. Life is a series of beginnings and endings. Beginnings and endings. It's like nature. Seasons begin and then they end. Sometimes it's a gradual ending. Sometimes you almost don't know when you're in the next season. Or sometimes it's kind of like it has been around Charleston this week where it went from like... Spring to summer, all of a sudden, and temperatures up around 90 and high humidity. But it's a natural part beginnings and endings. I know they can be challenging because they force us to let go of the familiar for the unknown. I know they often start with a series of losses. It can be the loss of a role. Some of you may have experienced that recently, where maybe you lost your job or. You know, you, you lost a, a position, whatever it happened to be, or it can be the loss of a person. Those are difficult transitions. When somebody's close to you, maybe it, it may be a, a, you know, a breakup of a relationship or, or a divorce where the person that you used to call with the good news or the bad news, you, you can't talk to them anymore. Or it could be, you know, the death of a close friend or spouse the transition starting with a series of losses might be a loss of a place you might have moved one of my friends right now is struggling with a major transition thought it would be easier than it was and it's not with with a move you may be there and in these types of things that the law you kind of get a loss of your sense of how do i fit in the world you know i knew how to do it when this was going on but this is new territory I don't even know how I fit. They can be planned or 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 unexpected. So, you know, I mean you, you, you plan a wedding, you know, you plan a move, you you plan maybe a birth of a child or whatever, and you think you've got it where, you know, you I, I know what's coming, and how have you know that oftentimes you don't? Or it can be unexpected. Either way, at times they can be frightening because the future is filled with more questions than answers. Well, that's exactly where. The disciples of Christ were on that Easter Sunday morning 2,000 years ago. They're in a major, major, massive transition. And it's one that's sudden, and at least in their mind, it's unplanned. Because only a week before, they had entered into Jerusalem, and man, the crowds were out. Jesus was popular. It's the same thing that they've been seeing all along as they followed him. And in the course of one week, in fact, less than a week, Jesus goes from being the leader, the hero, to being crucified on that Good Friday. They've lost position. They've lost a friend to death. They've lost a dream. They've lost friendships. And now they're facing uh, potentially the loss of their freedom as it's very real that they they may suffer the same thing that their, their leader, Jesus, did. Jesus' followers were at one of those what-do-I-do-now moments. And it's in that moment that Jesus shows up, as so we're going to study, and, uh, and, he, and, and He gives them uh, three commands, actually three three things that He says to them that are promises for the next season of their life. And in the same way, I want you to listen as we kind of look at the story. I want you to listen with ears for your own transition because the resurrection points to three truths three trans, or three promises that God gives each one of us for the transitions that we go through in our lives. So in John chapter twenty, it tells us a story. Mary the Magdalene gets up early in the morning to go and do what she didn 't have time to do on Friday before the the Sabbath came, and she 's going to go and she 's going to see if she can properly prepare jesus for what has already happened his burial and she gets to the tomb and the and the tomb is empty and and she looks in and and jesus isn't there and her first thought is not he's risen from the dead that's not even on her radar screen her first thought is somebody has stolen the body and so she runs and she tells peter and in the story from john it says and the other disciple now, the other disciple is John, who's actually writing the story. It's kind of interesting. You can read it for yourself. There's evidently this little rivalry going on with Peter and John. Because when it says, she told Peter and the other disciple, comma, the one who Jesus loved, was John himself, right now. And then they go racing to the tomb, it says. And in case anybody cared, it says, the other disciple beat Peter to the tomb. And then when they look in the tomb, they see that there's nothing there except for the grave clothes which are nicely folded. And evidently Peter doesn't get it, but the other disciple does because he says the other disciple believed. So it's interesting. I don't know what's going on. So they go running back. They have no idea what's happened. And Mary Magdalene goes back and she looks inside. And this time she sees two angels in there. The angel said, why are you here? And she said, Someone has stolen Jesus and she's crying and she turns around and there's a guy who she thinks is a gardener and she asks him, who stole the body? And, and finally he says, Mary, and she recognizes him. And it's Jesus. And she gra- goes to grab him and, and the Bible says that Jesus said, don't cling to me. And by the way, that's exactly what you want to do in a transition, isn't it? You want to cling to what's familiar. You want to cling to what you're losing. You want to cling to the past. And Jesus says, no, you can't do that. He said, I'm going to the Father. I don't understand all about that. Theologians have debated it for 2,000 years now. But he says to her, go and tell the disciples. And so, so she does. And the disciples are locked into a secure room because they're afraid that the leaders are going to uh, discover them and, and they'll suffer the same fate. And in verse 19, I'm going to read it, pick it up. It says, "...that evening, Sunday night, Easter Sunday, on the first day of the week, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders, and suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you," he said. As he spoke, he held out his hands for them to see, and he showed them his side. And they were filled with joy when they saw that their Lord or they saw their Lord, and He spoke to them again and said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And then He breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. The resurrection is why we can have hope, regardless of what's going on in our life, regardless of what transition. And by the way, if you're not in a transition right now, here's the good and bad news. You're going to be in one soon because they're just beginnings and endings, beginnings and endings. And the resurrection gives us hope. It's God's promise for the next season of your life. So what does Jesus promise His disciples? And in turn, what does He promise us? The first one is this. God promises you peace in the midst of whatever transition that you're going through. John 20:19. Jesus said, Peace be with you. Why was that the first thing that He said? because when you're in the midst of especially of an unexpected transition or maybe one that you thought was going to be easier than it really is that's exactly what you need i don't know if you have ever been there but it it can be like being in the center of a tornado i mean or or, or in a you know a a, a a dryer you know that's you're running i don't know why you'd be in a dryer that's a bad illustration but <laughs> you just feel like you don't know which ends up you know where, where, where am I? And you don't have no equilibrium. You need peace desperately in the midst of a transition. You need to know that, hey, everything's going to be okay at some point. And Jesus comes in, and it's like he says to the disciples, My enemy, Satan, our enemy, took his best swing. And I'm here. Death couldn't hold me back. See, that's the message of Easter. If Jesus rose from the dead, then everything else is going to work out. Doesn't, doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Doesn't mean you're going to, if you're a Christ follower, you're going to avoid all pain in life. Not at all. It just means, you know what? Because Jesus defeated death, hell, and the grave, ultimately things are going to work out okay. I love the way um, the Apostle Paul says it in Romans 2. Chapter 8 and verse 28 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. In fact, let's read it out loud here and at the campuses. Can we do that? I think it'll be on your screen or in your outline sheets. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. It says if you love God, if you're a Christ follower, you may be having difficult times. There may be stuff going on that you never dreamed that you'd be in the middle of, Okay. And it it doesn't say, you know, everything's good. Not at all. Usually in a transition, we're reacting that way because it feels really, really bad. But you may be in the middle of it. And the truth is, whatever it is, God promises that He will turn it out for your good. See, the next time you're in one of those what-do-I-do-now moments when your mind is racing with negative outcomes, think about the resurrection. Because the resurrection says... Satan took his best shot and he could not thwart the purposes of God in Jesus. And it doesn't matter what's going on in your life right now. It may hurt. It may be painful, may be difficult, but you're going to get through it. God will turn it for your good. When the what ifs are driving you crazy, you need to stop and repeat over and over and over again. As often as it takes, something like this, whatever happens to me, I'll handle it. Because God has promised to work it out for my good. What if I lose my job? I'll handle it. Because God has promised to work it out for my good. What if my kids have a hard time? What if the move that we just made our kids aren't adjusting to? What what if our kids get in with the wrong crowd? What if, what if, what if? I'll handle it. Because God will ultimately work it out for our good. What if my boyfriend breaks up with me? What if my spouse divorces me? What if my best friend dies? On and on and on. I can handle it. It's not easy. But God promises to work it out for my good. See, the resurrection proves that God can deliver on what He promises. It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to be able to do it. And the resurrection proves Jesus took satan's best shot and he lived to testify about it god will work it out for your good so jesus said peace be with you and that's what he says to you in the midst of a transition second thing god promises in the resurrection is he promises you a purpose he promises you a purpose see the greatest tragedy in life is not death because we all die at some point okay the greatest tragedy in life is to go through life, never knowing what God created you to be and do. I remember Debbie and I were invited to a party one time and uh, they were doing this little game, you know, kind of a mixer where they put a name on your back with a piece of tape and then you had to go around and other people could see it, you couldn't, and you had to ask questions and then guess who you were. You, You know what I'm saying? And they couldn't tell you exactly what it was. I remember one party I went to, I never got it the whole night. You talk about frustrating, I didn't know who I was. There are a lot of people that go through their whole life like that. They never discover who they are, who God has created them to be. See, you need something that gives you eternal meaning, that says, I'm accomplishing the thing that God placed me on the planet to do. Jesus modeled that. He said to the disciples, The Father sent me, now I'm sending you. I have accomplished what the Father sent me to do. He knew what he was sent to do. Every day of his life, he had a sense of, this is why I was created. I mean, it started with his very first sermon. He went to his home synagogue and preached his first sermon. Let me tell you, that's a tough gig. I've been there. I preached my first sermon in my home church, and I'm looking out, and there are Sunday school teachers that are sitting out there going, this ought to be good. And so Jesus is is preaching and He takes the book of Isaiah and He says in Luke 4, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for He has anointed me and appointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the downtrodden will be freed from their oppressors, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. My paraphrase? He says the world's broken. There's a lot of stuff wrong. Would you agree that there's a lot of stuff wrong in the world today? There's a lot of things that are broken. And Jesus says, God sent me to fix them. Now that's a pretty big job. Would you, would you agree with me? Pretty big. How do you fix and restore what's wrong in the world? Well, it's similar to another question. How do you eat an elephant? Anybody heard that one? One bite at a time. Now, if it's a big elephant, you get a bunch of people to take their own bite. You know know what I'm saying? You invite the Surrats over to eat the elephant with you. (laughs) You can't do everything, but you can do one thing. And Jesus was, he lived his life with a sense of mission, with a sense of calling. He had a missional mindset. Every day when he woke up, it was like, okay, God has assigned me to fix it. Fix what? We'll find out today. We'll find out today. And so he had missional eyes. He would, he would look around and he would see things that were broken. And then he'd whisper a prayer to the Father. Is, is this what you want me to be involved in? Because even Jesus couldn't do everything. He couldn't. Do, people uh, tugged on him. Somebody, somebody said one time, God loves you and everybody else has a wonderful plan for your life. How I mean, You know, that's true. And, and Jesus, people were tugging on him. Do this, do this. And he, and, 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 and he would listen to the Father. Is this what I'm, is this what you sent me for? And then he would take missional action. In fact, one of the best descriptions of what Jesus did is found uh, in uh, Acts chapter 10 and verse 38 where it says, Jesus just went around doing good. Doing good. Doing what? What he heard the Father saying that he ought to do. Every day, just looking around and seeing the world, the, the broke, broken things, things that other people couldn't see because they weren't looking for him. They weren't on mission. He was. And then he breaks into this room That's locked of disciples on Easter Sunday morning, uh, Sunday evening. And after promising peace in John 20, 21, he says, the father has sent me. So I'm sending you the father has sent me to restore a broken world. I've done my part now, guys, you do yours. He was giving them a sense of purpose. This is what God created you to do. Now I want you to do it. Here's something worth living for. If Jesus broke into this room today, He wouldn't have to break in. The, the, the doors aren't locked. you know. Maybe if the offering isn't big enough, maybe we'll lock it. I don't know. That was supposed to be funny. We don't do that stuff. okay? Jesus would break into this place today. And I think He'd say the exact same thing as He did that first Easter Sunday. He would say, Peace be to you. Now, as I was sent, I'm sending you. I'm giving you a purpose. I want you to live every day of your life with missional mindset. You are on call from God. You are on mission from God. When you get up tomorrow morning to go to work, when you go to Starbucks or wherever you go to get your first cup of coffee or whatever you do, I want you just to be have this mindset that today you're on mission from God. And I gotta, I, I've got a, a bite of the elephant for you. You don't have to do everything. You just have to do where I lead you. And I want you to have eyes... That you can see. I want you to open your eyes and just look around. It's not going to be hard if you're looking. And you're going to see broken things. And then I want you to whisper a prayer and say, Is this what I'm to be involved in? And then I want you to take missional action. That's how you know what God's... All of us are called to be a part of God's plan of restoration. Now the doing good will look different for each of us. Remember a few weeks ago, I was introduced out in the foyer to a little guy named Zach. Uh, Zach lives in Florida. And after Hurricane Charlie hit Florida in 2004 and pretty well devastated Central Florida, little Zach decided to take a bite of the elephant and do something for underprivileged kids. So what he did is he got his little red wagon and he went around to some of his friends and they filled it up with, you know, extra stuff they had. And then he went to a devastated area, maybe an area where the kids were maybe not as privileged as where he lived. And he brought his wagon and he helped them out. And then, as he started to do that, uh, he and his mom developed a nonprofit because it started to get popular, the Little Red Wagon Foundation, and they raise money and bring awareness to the plight of underprivileged kids, not just in hurricanes but everywhere. And at some point, he felt like God prompted him to walk across America to bring attention to the issue and attention he got. Hollywood decided this would be a good movie. And so they actually filmed a movie right here in Charleston, part of it. And that's why I met him in our foyer, because he was here filming the movie. And somebody said, have you met this little guy? Wow. Well, here's what I think. God may not commission you to walk across America, and they may never make a movie about your piece of the elephant, but He may ask you to walk across the street and mentor somebody else's kid. That may be their chance at breaking out of whatever it is that has them imprisoned is an education. And like dozens of people in this church already are doing, you say, you know what, I could do that. I, can, I, I can't do everything, but I could give a little bit of time to do that. Or, or, or maybe it's walking down the hall in the campus where you're at, the church where, where you attend, and seeing special needs kids, or maybe knowing special need parents that can't even come to church because of it would be such an imposition to everybody around. And you go, you know what? I could help with that. I could give some of my time. Like dozens of people have done here and loved kids that other people overlook. Or or, or maybe it's walking across the room and taking the hand of somebody who's going through a difficult transition. Maybe one that you've already been through. And you look at it and you hear the same things being said that you were saying just a few months ago or a couple of years ago. And God prompts you and says, you know what? That's why you went through it. One of the reasons, you can help them. You always feel inadequate like I couldn't do that. But what if you don't do it? Or here's a better question. What if you did? What if you did? Or maybe it's to walk across the office to the cubicle of someone who God is prompting you just to love a little bit, just to encourage just a little bit, just to share just a little bit of the good news in the favor of God. See, Jesus' words on that first Easter were a challenge to each new generation of Christ followers. It wasn't just to them. Hey, God has sent me, now I'm sending you. No, it's God has sent you and the next generation, God is sending you and each successive generation afterwards of Christ followers, God is saying, take a bite of the elephant. Figure it out. It's not rocket science. Just get up every morning. And say, I'm going to follow you today, God, with all of my heart. Show me what my place is today. If you're going to accomplish God's purpose for you, you need to experience His peace. You need to receive His purpose. And the third thing you need to do is you've got you to understand that God promises you His power. Because you always feel inadequate. And the truth is, you are. But it doesn't have to stay that way. Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit. I learned a very valuable lesson this week, and that's this. You can have the best of intentions, but if you don't have the necessary fuel, you'll never reach your desired destination. This is painful, but I'm going to share it. On Monday, Debbie and I were going to go have dinner with some friends of ours in Polly's Island. And we got in the car, and somewhere between Onda McClellanville, let me just speak to those of you on a campus outside of Charleston, that's the middle of nowhere. My car started to sputter and it lost power. And there was a, just a, a, you know what it is, just a pain in the pit of my stomach as I looked down at the gas gauge and sure enough, there was nothing in there. <laughs> and, and so I tried to do my best to get the two miles that I knew that we needed to go and I'm just swerving and doing this stuff and I was just exhausted trying to will that car to the right place. But we ran out. My wife thought this would be a wonderful time to begin Twittering. <laughs> and so we, she put this on the screen. It's a picture. And the, 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 te, the Twitter says, Guess what my husband just did in the middle of nowhere? Fortunately, we have friends who do not live far. That was one uh, time I was grateful for Sam and Joan living in the middle of nowhere because they came and rescued us. Fortunately, my wife was limited to 140 characters in describing her husband. <laughs> So what happened? I neglected to fuel up for the journey. My heart was right. I just didn't do the regular things that you need to do to keep the car running. You know, that's a wonderful metaphor for what some of you are trying to do. Some of your hearts are wonderful. Your hearts are right. You're trying to serve God, do His mission, but you neglect the regular rhythms of fueling up, trying to do it on your own. Zechariah 4 and verse 6 says, You will not succeed by your own strength or power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Here's the good news. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that proved he was God, that overcome the power of the enemy, that same power is available on a regular basis for each of us. But we've we've got to have regular rhythms in our lives that take time to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 and verse 11 says, once the Spirit lives within you, He will bring uh, to your whole being new strength and new vitality. And I want to challenge you. Be people who experience God's peace. Be people who understand God has a mission for you every day. You don't have to sit around and go, what is it, what is it, what is it? Just open your eyes and say, I'm available. Do what He leads you to and, and, and take advantage of His power source regularly has to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Two years ago, this weekend, a couple came to this church for the very first time. They were facing one of the worst transitions a, a parent can ever imagine. Their only son, a son named Wilson, had been killed in a motorcycle accident while visiting Costa Rica just four weeks before. They didn't attend church, at least not often. Never hear. In the midst of their dark journey, though, they found the peace, the purpose, and the power of the resurrection. And I want you to hear their story.
1: He had a personality that. won everybody over, won everybody's heart. He had a smile that was absolutely beautiful. And the day that I got the call about Wilson, um, it was like, you know, that dreaded call. Every parent thinks might happen, but but not really. I mean, you, you don't really think it's gonna happen. But when it came, and I was home alone, I um, instinctively knew I guess there was a problem so I said is Wilson okay and he said no ma'am he isn't he said uh, and I think there was another long pause and I said well is he dead and he said yes ma'am he is
2: it was like the air being taken out of the room You know, you you want to say, it's a mistake, you know, it it didn't happen, but...
1: Wilson had died March 20th, and after we somewhat collected ourselves, we realized that we were really missing a spiritual life, and that without that, we weren't sure we were going to be able to function. We could just imagine ourselves dry up in the corner and never be able to go forward in any kind of productive way or happy way or ever smile again or laugh again. So we were desperately seeking um, God, I'll say. I think John really had the aha, aha moment and said, you remember that Wilson went to Seacoast when he was living here a few times? And I said, well, he did. I said, in fact, I remember exactly the day when he called me, and he said, "Mom." In his his way, he always said, "Mom, Mom, you aren't going to believe this. I have gone to church today. He went with a friend, and he said it was absolutely amazing. He said it's something like you've never seen before in your life. I'm not even certain how we drove and got there, but um, we did, and we walked in and felt like our hearts had just were still shattered, absolutely shattered, and pieces and didn't know what to expect, but we, nee- we knew we needed help. We just weren't sure how to get it. It was a message that absolutely was written, I think, only for the two of us because we came out and we had been so, um, I'll say, so pitiful. I mean, we had just not even, I mean, we barely could function. We came out that day and we looked at each other when we got in a car where we didn't think anybody else could see us and said, wow, you know, and we started telling each other what it had said to us and what it meant. We had hoped to find at least a little shred of hope and we found more than a little shred of hope. We found a lot of hope. I really felt like I had to do something. The Wilson could not have died in vain that something good had to come out of this or I just wouldn't be, able to, wouldn't, wouldn't be able to continue. And Pastor Greg and Pastor Josh had come over in September. We had asked them to come for Wilson's 30th birthday and we sprinkled some ashes. And that day we talked a little bit about grief share. So we went to the 13 week series of grief share and it was, it was also part of that life saving piece. It was another piece in that puzzle we decided that we needed to go to another session, another series of 13 weeks, because when we first started, we were, we were just worn ourselves, and we knew we didn't hear everything that we needed to hear, so we wanted to go again, and so we signed up for the next session. And by then, I had decided that this might not be what I'm really cut out to do as my mission, so to speak, um, totally, but it's something that I really want to do. I want to try to help other people and I was thinking a lot in terms of parents who've lost children. So John and I decided that we would um, go to training to become Grief Share facilitators, and we did that.
2: The, the reward of Grief Share is just phenomenal. It's, you really get blessings out of it, and you feel like, you know, selfishly we're helping ourselves, but we're helping others at the same time. what we were looking for we weren't sure we we knew we were I was at best a casual Christian and what we found was unbelievable
1: I will probably always feel cheated that I can't be a biological grandmother but I think I could be a grandmother to many I'll be I feel cheated that I'll never be able to go to Wilson's wedding um, but I'm so blessed that I thought I probably had a relationship with God. Believe that I would have I would definitely called myself a Christian, but now I definitely have a relationship with God. And my goal now in life is to do something that will really be meaningful to other people and help other people.
0: Wow. Well. None of us ever want to go through that. They'll tell you, as they told us that day, that um, even this God has used to bring about good in. They have found peace. They have found a sense of purpose. And they have experienced the power of the resurrection, the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, as I kind of wrap it up, uh, just a crazy story that happened in the midst of that. I, We were going over to capture that story, and I uh, had put on some of my favorite shoes that day, and they're not that old. They're, they're nice, and, and I... Uh, I'm not even going to tell you the whole story because it would just take too long. It's just strange how it happened. Just Out of the nowhere, the, the bottoms fell off my shoes between the time that I left the office here and I got to their house. In fact, we've got a picture of the shoes. You guys have that up? <laughs> Both pairs of shoes, the bottoms fell totally off the shoes. And so I'm walking up to their house. You saw the kind of thing we're going to do. And I walk in, and I didn't know whether to go barefoot or just kind of like <laughs> moccasins. I tried to do, I decided to do the moccasin thing with the, what was left. And, and I walked up and I said, Guys, I am so sorry. We're here to do the interview. But, and I told him this story. And John says this He says, No problem. I got you covered. I said, well, What do you mean? He went in the house and he brought out a pair of Wilson's favorite boots. And he said, we've been saving these. We didn't know what to do with them. And I believe God has spoken to me that we're to give them to you. I said, well, they'll never fit. And he asked me what my shoe size was, and it was the exact same one. This couple, if you would have asked this couple two years ago, when they walked into this building with intense pain that they have, that God would use them in the way that he has, and that their pastor would be preaching on Easter Sunday morning in their son's boots in order to illustrate the power of the, the peace and the purpose and the power of the resurrection. They'd have said you're crazy, or he is, one or the other. But that's what happened. And you know why? I don't know the whole reason, but I do know this. God loves a great ending to a story. God loves to turn crucifixions into resurrections. And you may feel like in your life there's an ending. There's a crucifixion. It may be the loss of someone closer. It may be something entirely different. And what I want to say to you today is that you're not here for act- by accident. God wants to turn your story around for his good let's pray father i thank you for not just the story the event of the resurrection god thank you for how you surprise us and you surprise those disciples that day and those of us who follow you you surprise us regularly with your grace God, I just pray now in the next few moments that we would uh, just have a, a sense of honesty and that we would listen to you. God, I believe that you're wanting to challenge us and change us. And Lord, for some of us, this is going to be the most significant moment that we've ever experienced up to this point in our life. And so God, we ask that your kingdom would come and your will be done in Jesus' name. Amen. The campuses, I uh, would like our campus pastors, if you would, to come to the front of whatever auditorium you're in and feel free to take this at any point that you want to. But Here's what I want to do. We're going to have a time of response, reflection and response. We do this all the time here at Seacoast. It's the most powerful moment in the service. It really is. I want you to listen to God. You know, he may already be speaking to you. It, it, it's crazy. John and Vanessa said it was like, it was like I was, you know, talking right to them the week they came. Can I give you, can I give you the truth? I'm not that good. But God is. And God can take whatever's being said and he can apply it to your life and your situation. And some of you may feel like God's reading your mail today. I want to challenge you to listen to him. Listen to him. And respond to him. Some of you here can relate to John and Vanessa, and if you were honest, if you were just totally honest, and I asked you, Are you a Christ follower? You'd say, Probably not. I mean, I believe in God, and you may even go to church, you know, occasionally or even somewhat regularly but your lifestyle is not characterized by living every day on mission, by listening to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, and being available to Him. And honestly, there's something down deep inside that desires that, that wants that. Here's what I wanna do. If you do this, with, would everybody just bow for a minute, just to kind of close yourself in. I don't want you to be distracted by anything. And if you if, if if you want to just be really so bold as just to do this, you say, Greg, you know what? I want to be a Christ follower. I I know, honestly, that I'm probably not. But today, I'd like to be. You know, and, and, and here's what here's what I want to say. What's it going to take for you to come to that moment? I hope you don't have to go through the pain. In fact, it would be better to hitchhike on somebody else's pain and just to be moved by somebody else's story and then to look at your life and go, you know what? I'm going all in. That's you today. And you say, you know what? I want to be a Christ follower. Would you just look up at me? Would you just look up at me? Okay, all over the congregation. Okay, just look at, yeah. Just make eye contact. We do that. There are dozens and dozens. We're believing that a thousand people this weekend are going to go, you know what? I'm all in. Many of you are. If you say, I I want to be a Christ follower, my life is not characterized by that. Just look up at me, up in the balconies, in the campuses, the campus pastors are up front. Just look up at them. Okay, all over, all over, all over. Let me pray for you. God, I just pray right now in this moment that you would seal the commitments that are being made. God, we thank you for the life that you offer. I ask that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in lives all through the campuses here, internet, wherever it happen to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Here's something else I'd like you to do. If that's you, we're going to have a time in just a minute. Everybody's going to, that are believers are going to come receive communion and celebrate Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. There are going to be people getting up, going to the offering boxes to celebrate what they're giving. There are going to be people getting up to go light candles for friends who may be in transition and just whispering a prayer. I want you to get up. If you're serious about being a Christ follower, in your bulletin, you've got a connect card that looks something like this. Why don't you fill that out with as much information as you're comfortable with. The important thing is, It says, today I made a decision to follow Christ. Why don't you take that, go to the crosses that are on either side of the stage and just pin it to the cross. Why do I say do that? Because it's something you can look back on. You can go, you know, I did something. I took a step. It's my first step, maybe. Or it's a repeat step, and I've been away for way too long. And I want to follow God. I want, to, I want to listen to your promptings and I want to be used by you. Why don't you do that? Just be so bold. Nobody's going to be watching. Well, maybe somebody will, but who cares? Okay, just go pin it to the cross. Say, God, I'm following you. Some of you are in a transition right now and maybe you'd like someone to pray with you. We got people that would love to do that. They're on either side of the stage up here by the windows, prayer teams. You can go just have prayer with them. And then when we're, we're all done, We're going to stand and sing and celebrate an awesome God who loves us, okay? So let's just, what is God saying to you and what are you going to do about it?